Welcome to Dave's Psychology Lectures from Algoma University. I'm Dave Broadbeck. The following lecture is from uh, Psychology 4006. Uh, it's a new one for everybody out there. Uh, History of Psychology. Hope you enjoy it. So, um, no paper. I remember you guys got the email, so there's no paper to discuss today. Uh, there is one for Wednesday, so take a look at that. Uh, I still haven't figured out a question yet for that one. I'll come up with something. Um, or I may not. It may just be we'll just talk. But um, they talked to me about rationalism and empiricism, which are kind of opposing viewpoints of the world. Or of the mind. So as Jerry Seinfeld might say, what's the deal with rationalism? Um, <laughs> so rationalism is this derived uh, from the word uh, ratio, which actually means reason in, in Latin. Which wouldn't be ratio, it would be ratio. Yes, exactly Latin. So what's rationalism emphasized? It emphasizes a priori knowledge. This is a priori, more Latin, uh, in advance of. So what, the, what rationalism says is before you experience something, you already know some things. So there are inborn qualities, you might say, or concepts. Okay. So you have an active mind and it acts upon sensory input. If you act, it's an active mind you have and it acts upon sensory input. Doesn't sound like a really ridiculous notion, does it? I mean, that sounds pretty sensible. Um, you, you use deductive reasoning, uh, deductive argument. So it's using logic to demonstrate uh, the premises of an argument provide the definitive grounds of conclusion. No, however, there's a lack of nothing there saying and what you experience. That's not what that says. That says, I can reason things out. It doesn't say you don't learn things, but it's not saying that's the important thing. It doesn't say that learning is the most important thing. It says the most important thing is that you have a logical mind to begin with, and you reason with it. Your mind acts upon the world. Okay? Questions about that? You see the distinction there between rationalism and say something like comparison? So Descartes. Descartes was a rationalist. Um, We've talked about Descartes before. You've heard it from many other classes. So he's a, he's a mathematical approach to things, which is a very rational approach to things, right? No, math, mathematics is deductive. It's also inductive. But, um, so he wanted to look at a rational system of how the mind worked. So he had four parts to his method. Four parts to his method.
Never accept anything true unless there's a clear distinct uh, th- and it's immune from doubt. In other words, it's not true unless you're completely convinced it's true. So it's, I know that sounds like a truism. It's not true unless it's true. But it's not like you say, well, I have a hunch. There's no hunches here. There's no guessing is what this is saying. When you can prove it, and I believe it, you prove it through deduction. Now, that sounds hard, but what you do is you take anything that's difficult, any problem, and you break it down, or as Descartes used to say, because he was on the street with the kids, you break it down to yo. He, I don't think he ever said that. Um, he also, I'm not sure he spoke English. Um, he probably did. Break things down into smaller things. Again, think about math. Think about doing math problems. Think about doing geometry. Ever like analytical geometry problems? Angle, side, angle, all that stuff you used to do when you were in grade 10, and then you have to do again to take your graduate record exam. Good luck with all that then. Um, you can read, you know, you know it already, you can learn it very quickly. Or even, even Cartesian coordinates. That's his thing, right? The X's and the Y's, he invented that. That's why it's called Cartesian coordinates. Um, Anything with math, what you tend to do is you go, I have a big problem, I'll break it down into smaller bits to prove the larger bit. Again, complicated math problems, not like if I have five apples and I take away three apples, like those are not, that's just a subtraction. Start with the easiest and simplest elements and then proceed to the more complicated things. So this is things, this is how your mind ought to work. Now, there's something to be said for some of this. Those of you that have taken brain and behavior know, for example, that while things are done in parallel and in hierarchically, that simpler elements are analyzed first. Think about the visual system. Those of you who have taken perception, right? You think about just patterns of light, and then you get simple uh, forms like uh, lines and then angles, and then you eventually get the shape and you get color, and color and motion and all that stuff, thinking about the visual system. So he's right a bit on that, isn't he? Right? He's got a point here. Now, he always said he kept complete notes and comprehensive reviews, so he never skipped anything. And this is how he, this is his system of, of rational philosophy. And you can see how it would impact a system of how the mind works. Don't lose any resolution in what you are experiencing. It would be the, the equivalent here, I think. Right? And you think about again how the visual system works, which is, you know, a nice example because we know how it works. It kind of works like this. How do you recognize, if you took brain behavior with me, you know, I always say, how do you recognize a red triangle? That's, that's sort of the running example I have. That's a really complicated thing. But we can break it down into patterns of light, into angles, into colors, into lines. We don't lose any of the richness of that, any of the resolution. We still have the pattern of light, we being our brains, our minds. But we can say with absolute certainty, then it's a red triangle. Right? Okay. Now, he got a lot of stuff wrong, too. The pineal gland thing, of course, famously, stupidly wrong. 
Yes, your mind is in your pineal gland, well, your soul, but I've mentioned many times that when he says soul, he also means, he doesn't just, he doesn't really mean that you're Catholic immortal soul. He means your mind. So the mind-body interaction in humans takes place in the pineal gland. Now, here are some great testable hypotheses that, this is, this is me being sarcastic. Uh, well, I guess they're testable for future researchers. He, he's given so much credit in the Coleman Wishaw Brain Behavior book that I've been using for years, and I imagine Lori used last year as well when she taught the course. Um, they just give Descartes all this credit. Oh, yeah, he's the father of modern neuroscience. He allowed us to study brains, gave us the permission to study the mind. Yeah, but he also was ridiculous. Muscles are literally inflated with animal spirits. Actually, this one isn't festival. What's an animal spirit? I don't know. How would we measure it? I am not sure. <laughs> the muscular system is tied to the ventricles of the brain, which, of course, as we all know, is the source of the animal spirits. Hello? Yeah. Ancient Egyptians, I'll tell you, going back to them, and I, I kind of forgive them, because it was 6,000 years ago, and they, they just, when they would write something, it was just, you know, like a guy would say something, you'd read dictating the letter to his secretary, read that back. Now, let's see. Bird, bird, water, boat, hieroglyphics. Nobody? They all walk like this. I'll give them a break. They also built pyramids. They walk like Egyptians. Thank you very much. But, and cats, they were big into cats. But, come on. It's the 1700s. Stop with the animal spirits, will you? Oh, he got this right? Oh, that's good. Okay, so some things he was ridiculous. Other things, well, not quite. I mean, one neuron doesn't have both sensory and motor function. So now, and nerves really... Yeah, I guess you could say that. Like, your ulnar nerve makes your that part move and also is sensory. Okay, okay. If you want to talk about nerves and non-neurons, see what you know what neurons were, we'll give him credit there. He also has that nervous transmission is extremely fast, and of course it isn't. It's actually exceedingly slow. It just seems fast. It's fast because it happens, but there's so many things happening at once. But it's really quite slow. Within a neuron, it's like 100, 100 meters per second. That's not that fast, actually, considering when I decide to snap my fingers, it just happens. It's good that we don't actually perceive how long it takes for things to happen, because it would be weird. We'd always have this sort of lag. It'd be like you're playing Quake on a really slow server. So the mind-body thing is silly, right? The, the idea that the mind and the body are separate is ridiculous. We know that. Everybody, that experimental psychologists are, know this. Neuroscientists know this. The mind is from the brain. The pineal gland thing's actually funny. I find it really, really funny. Now, why did he say this? The story goes that he couldn't find pineal glands in other animals. Well, other animals do not have souls. Other animals do not have pineal glands. Obviously, this is very important. 
Yeah, that's clearly how he spoke. He spoke with a ridiculous fake French accent. He didn't actually speak French. And it's hard to read. If you have read, how many of you actually read Descartes? Does anyone take philosophy and read Descartes stuff? What do they teach people in school anymore? Because um, you read it, and sometimes it does mean your soul and being Catholic. But other times it means your mind. I think it usually means your mind. Um, so I think that there are times when Descartes is difficult is all. It fits with popular versions of how things work, though. My brain interaction, my body interaction. Okay. That's the biggest collar. It's like it's 1973 with this collar. It's like he's an anchorman. <laughs> okay. So that's the classic rationalist sort of nativist approach, right? When I say, I don't, the term nativist, unfortunately, has been taken over by people who support Donald Trump. So let's go with rationalist. You're inborn with qualities. Okay? Some weird noises. Okay. It's a drill. It's outside. Okay. Oh, it's outside. Oh, okay. The window's open. That's right. Okay, that's good. That's fine. <laughs> no, there was a day when I heard. I was. This was a long time ago. It was an EW two hundred, which used to be called EW fifteen. I don't know. They, one day they changed all the numbers on us. Just before the start of term, by the way. Every place in the school, we'd all be running our courses. Like, the phone all that. It was great. Um, <laughs> this used to be called the third floor, the fifth floor. Well, actually, it's the third floor of this building. It's all very good. Anyway, the point is that suddenly my office was in 306, 506, not 306, all this stuff. That's fine. But I was teaching in EW15, EW200 now, and I heard banging on the roof because I think people were fixing something. Or it was a tomato ring. It was one or the other. And then a nail just fell from the ceiling right in front of a student. And we said, okay, we're out of here. We it's like, that's it. No, no, no. This is dangerous. We are now leaving. So I'm as bad as I was teaching intro site downstairs in the library uh, rooms there, WW101 or whatever, you know, and all of a sudden, from one of the vents, a cloud came out of there. <laughs> that's serious. I looked up, we all looked at the same time, and we went, <laughs> it was nothing. It was they were just. It was something to do with the um, uh, air conditioning, and it was just basically not steam, but like, well, I guess it is steam. But it was scary. It was like a video game. It was like something. It's like, my God, the gas is going to get us. And we were like, stay low to the ground. <laughs> it was really something. So that's just. I thought maybe something like that was happening again. But no. Good. Good. I'm happy. Because that was. It was a very strange experience. The cloud was weird because it was exactly, it looked like something from TV. Must be the iPhone. Yes, that's right. It was, oh, and all our information was in the cloud as well. <laughs> okay, it's over here. There it is. Okay. So, empiricism, uh, closest to the term, it's like experience, right? Empiricists share some common ideas. A posteriori knowledge. Knowledge comes after you experience things. Your mind is passive, not active. Notice how the the, the rationalist idea is you have an active mind that's perceiving. This is a passive mind that's receiving. 
and receive sensory input, and it's using induction as a method. Induction. Now, inductive reasoning says because something happened before, it will happen again. The sun rose yesterday, so it will rise today. And that's true. It, 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 it works. However, there is the, sort of the classic problem with induction. And that classic problem is, is often illustrated by something like, let's say you had a, a ball that was green. And you put it in your pocket, and every day you took it out, and you looked at it, and it was green. And you'd say, I have a green ball. But what if actually it's not green, but it's green? Green is a, is a color that it's green until, we used to, whenever we learned about this, we used to say until the year 2000. Suddenly it becomes blue in the year 2000. I'm not saying this is something that exists, but it's, it's a mental exercise. So what if I put my hand in my pocket and, and I, somebody said, what color is, is, is a ball in your pocket? And I would, of course, say it was green. But on January 1st, 2000, I pull it up and go, that Y2K problem affected the ball. It's blue. Rational, or sorry, induction is a real problem. It, it's, it works almost all the time, but it's almost like rules of thumb. It, it, they're they're um, heuristics rather than algorithms. For those of you who have taken cognition, they're heuristics rather than algorithms. They work, but you can never be sure they're right. Can you? The sun will rise every day until the sun doesn't rise anymore because it's supernovas or something. I mean, we'll all be long dead, so who cares? But the best predictor of past behavior, or for, sorry, future behavior is past behavior. That's true, right? That's a general thing we say in psychology. So I can guess, whenever, sorry, whenever I, I, I do a um, hand back tests or assignments or anything like that, I always do a correlation between each previous assignment and the next ones. And it doesn't matter what kind they are. If they're presentations or tests or essays, the correlation is usually somewhere between 0.75 and 0.95. And you know that yourself. You know that, oh, I'm an A student, I'm a B student, I'm a C student. You just know that about yourself. You're pleasantly surprised when you get something better than you expect. You're pissed off when you get something worse. Right? So when you get something worse, you then commit the fundamental attribution error. Broadbeck is an asshole. When you do something well, you commit the, the fundamental attribution error. Boy, I worked really hard on this. But you know that really that when you sit down and think about it, you go, uh, yeah, well, I, I get about 78 and everything. So I guess 78 is probably what I should have got in this paper. Then again, hard times you need to smoke it, right? Sometimes everything is perfect. Yeah, just the right amount of sleep. Just the right amount of studying. Not too much, not too little. You just felt good that day. There were no other tests or assignments for about a one or two week period either way around it. You get like 95 and go, oh yeah, I'm a 95 student. You did just not. That was just dumb luck. I mean, I did really well. I can take some credit, but really, I'm not a 95 guy. I'm 78. And then there are times when I remember I wrote a paper in third year, 
third year uh, uh, psychopathology, or abnormal psychology, as we called it back then, because I think now we know that the word abnormal is apparently offensive. So I wrote a paper, I got a 60. It's like, I'm not a C student. I don't get C's. <laughs> I got a C in typing once in grade nine. That's why I get C's, things where I don't care. And then I'm like, I'm gonna change my major. Third year. Then I realized, and I did a thing where I, um, and I, some of you have had me tell you this personally. Yeah, that one paper, how's that gonna affect all overall? I gotta get Let's do some math, shall we? So let's go take a Cartesian approach and show you if this work, right? Don't worry about it. But it uses induction, and induction works pretty well. It's got that fundamental problem, okay? So Francis Bacon is one of these guys. He focused on problem of knowledge and pioneered the scientific method. He's an empiricist. Science is an empirical thing. He would describe what he called the four idols that are impediments to human knowledge. I like this. These are things that we sort of look up to, but we shouldn't. Things that we worship, that's why they're idols. But they get in the way of us understanding how the universe works, understanding how the mind works. The idols of the tribe are the limits of the human intellectual apparatus. At some point, you can't understand certain things. The idols of the cave are prejudices or preferred theories that blind us to alternative explanations. And you see this a lot when you look about the history of, of, of all of the history of science generally, where, well, that just simply can't be true. That can't be true. That can't be true. Einstein's saying God doesn't play dice with the universe. So quantum mechanics can't be true. And of course, the biggest reason that people don't like, didn't like quantum mechanics at first is because they didn't like it. It just doesn't feel right. Yeah, that's not really a good reason to not like something. Idols of the marketplace um, are the aspects of the nominal fallacy. Do you know what a nominal fallacy? The nominal fallacy is when we name something and think we've explained it. So we name something and we go, oh yeah. So, here's one. Women are paid less than men. And that's a thing. Why? Keep more sexism. No, you gave it a name. Saying sexism isn't a reason. It's like saying, well, Steve. <laughs> you can't just call it Steve and go, I explain it. You can now. You sit down and you explain it, and you can talk about things like, Systematic discrimination you can talk about. You can talk about people taking time off for child care and not getting credit for it. Well, all kinds of things. Saying, why are, you can pick any disadvantaged group of people worse off than non -dis less disadvantaged people or non disadvantaged people. Racism. Mm -hmm. Okay, again, we call it Steve. Now, explain to you why this is a thing. We do this all the time. I'm sure I do it all the time. Catch yourself doing this, because Bacon was right. You can't just name something and think you've explained it. You've just given it a name. And I love this one, idols of the, of the theater. This is when we look at authority. Well, obviously, he said it. Descartes thought there were animal spirits. He's smart. 
I guess there are animal spirits. These are all kind of things you think back to 2127 and talking about how how science works. And in other courses, I know when I teach learning, I talk about how science works. I've done this when I taught intro, I talk about how science works. I don't call them idols. Because that, you know, I don't live in the 1500s. So I don't use words like that. But it's pretty sensible. So the British empiricists, there's Bacon again, he emphasized the sense experience in the search for knowledge. This is again, this experience it is the world impinging upon me, not me organizing the world. It's the world. And it's already organized. You can control my senses. He wants to get, Bacon said, to get observations from a wide variety of sources. Again, this is his scientific method approach. This is good. Sense experience. We do this today in science, don't we? It may not be just your, your sense, it's not just sense experience, of course, it's, 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 it's measurements. But we do this. Um, he certainly emphasized, and we certainly today have emphasized a wide variety of sources. One primary source doesn't prove a thing. Right? You want to look at many secondary sources. Because you can find a primary source that say, hey, you can find primary sources that say aspartame is bad for you. Which, which it isn't. My primary source is saying MSG is bad for you. It's not. I mean, if you eat enough of it at once, it is anything can be a poison eventually. Lethal dose, by the way, for uh, MN, for, for monosodium glutamate is higher than it is for sodium chloride for salt. And um, the amount you have to eat is like at once, like chemo. Wow. You can't do that. <laughs> so thirsty, you, can't, you can't eat that much MSG. So don't be don't be afraid of MSG. But you do find things. You find now and then some result that is poorly done science, saying genetically modified organisms are going to kill us all. Then you find every other paper gone. No, I didn't find that. No, I didn't find that. That's wrong. And then eventually you go, yeah, you can find one thing. So this is what he's saying. Look at lots of different approaches. And he says. Present your ideas to the community researchers. Yeah, this sounds familiar, right? You publish stuff. You talk about it in their conference. You publish your papers, peer review. Classic. So this guy basically, Bacon, and oh, we'll give Newton some credit to invent science. That's neat. Way to go. Now, Law, around the same era, these other empiricists, law, British empiricism is, it's really a British thing, empiricism. Um, John Locke talked about the mind being a white paper. Uh, in fact, when you read it, he says white paper. Uh, tabula rasa, which means blank, blank slate, means blank tablet. Because the Greek Romans rather didn't have slates so much, but they wax tablets. They used to write Romans, Roman school children wrote on a tablet that had wax on it. And then you would write with a stylus. And you could read it, but you could, of course, you just take, uh, put more wax on it or melt it back to be 
So then it was like, you could just reset it. So he did say white paper when you read, because he wrote in English. He wrote in English. People are, fewer and fewer people at this point are writing in Latin, they're starting to write in English, or their, whatever their mother tongue is. So he said, all knowledge, look, this is a, a big thing here. That's taking a ridiculous position, just like saying everything's built in, saying that everything comes from experience is completely an unknown Right? Because you have to know some things to start out with. So he didn't like the concept of innate ideas at all. So Descartes was ridiculous, but so is Locke. It's ridiculous to say we don't have any innate ideas. When you're born, and you probably know this, um, you know the sound of your mother's voice, quite possibly your father's voice, but definitely your mother's voice. When you give a baby a choice, and this is a newborn baby, 12 hours old, a choice between looking at a stimulus that looks like this, or a stimulus that looks like this, they choose this one, because it looks more like a face. We all have the ability, most of us, at least when we're born, to eventually learn how to speak a human language, or many of them. We don't have the language itself built in, but the ideas of language, the building blocks, are in there, are going to be in there. Now, his emphasis on experience led him to about recommendations for education. This is radical ideas. Because when you think about today, or sorry, when you think about back then, we're still pretty much in an era of absolute monarchy. In, in, in England, uh, still just, yeah, still just England. They joined with Scotland in 1700. So, yeah. Um, who's the divine right of kings? Right? Look on a coin, it says Elizabeth II, D.G. Regina, which means Elizabeth II, D.G. Gratia Regina, by the grace of God, queen. The, the God chose her to be queen. Now, I know, if we had Elizabeth here with us, she would wonder why she was here. Um, but, and also, there would be a lot of security. But then, she, if we asked her, told us, we're not going to tell anybody, she'd probably say, of course God didn't choose me. That that's ridiculous. I was lucky enough to be born a queen of England. The people actually believed this back then. And there were nobles that had more stuff than the peasants, and it's like, well, yeah, but that's the natural order of things. And he said, no, wait a second. Because it follows that if all knowledge comes from experience, those people, the nobles, know more than you. You know why they know more than you? Because they have better experience. So he said, wait a second. To have a better, more educated population, be better for the country. Very radical idea. This is, a, this is literally revolutionary, this idea. So that, those are good ideas, by the way. Universal education is a good thing. Even though it's based on some, you know, well, they're, they're, any extreme is usually wrong. He encourages this idea of hardening ideas. This is the idea of repetition, 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 and eventually you will get it. Which works for some things. You may understand it, you know, it's sort of look for, uh, conception. But there are things you just end up knowing, right? What's squared 64? Eight. Just think. You should know that. 
So except for maybe basic arithmetic and some things like that, that's basically gone now. And it seems to be almost gone for basic arithmetic, but I think it's a shame. When I, when I was in um, London over, over the summer, we were visiting our daughter and my mother and all kinds of other people, but we went into a store, Isabel, my wife said, oh, we should buy Maddie and Ross a nice table. Okay? Let's go buy a table. So we go to, we're looking all over London for table. Finally, we go to you know, Pier 1, the Pier 1 import store, and we go in, and there's a nice little table, but this nice round table, and just kind of, yeah, that'd be a nice little table. So the salesperson goes over, and she says, so. And Isabel says, yeah, well, he's going to go check, goes to check, says, sorry, it's happening. She said, well, we'll sell you this one. I said, oh, yeah, okay. And I looked at it, and it was a 269. And I said, uh, sure, well, yeah, we'll take this one, but for two and a quarter. Because it's been out. She said, oh, I'll go check with my manager. I'm sure we can discount it somewhere. Right. This was a look on her face. She says, I'm sorry. I can only get you 15% off. But that's 229 It's $4 different from what you offer, what I offered you. That's fine. We'll take it. And she said, is it going to pay for it? Because I took it to the car. She said, well, he can do math in his head fast. <laughs> I was like, no, it's just, I learned how to do 15% or something. It's pretty easy. 10% is easy. Move the next place over, cut it in half, add those together. Just, and that's that's idea. That's like it's repetition. We had to learn things when I was in school. When I was young, we learned the squares of all numbers up to twenty-five. So those are things and they don't do that anymore, which is stupid. Um, he went too far that way. Everything just we will say it over and over and over again. And then we went too far the other way. It's like just experience numbers, man. <laughs> probably something in the middle is probably sensible, but it really did affect schooling. And so at some point, I don't know, we stopped learning how to do arithmetic. It's scary. Um, and I see it in people. And if you know who Goldard Meyer is, that she was the president or the prime minister of Israel, look it up. He, he looked a lot like Golda Meyer. Um, David Hume. So Hume's a little later. He's also a, a, an empiricist. And he talked about things being a, a, a chain of events. I really, I try, there's a famous picture of him, and I did try to find out about, I'm, I'm lying, I'm going to say something with the thing in his head. I tried to find out why he was wearing a sort of faux turban. I was Googling David Hume, fake turban. Nothing. It looks like he's like, you know, I just came out of the shower and I thought, let's put this on my hair. Right? I mean, that's not, and he wasn't like, it wasn't like it was a religious thing. So you might think, oh yeah. In the early 1700s, did a lot of people in England, no, no, that wasn't a style, because you know, styles change. Could you be a style? I don't know why he did that. Don't think so. He just got out of the shower. That's, that's my guess, maybe he was a shower, a bath. But the people didn't bathe very much back then. <laughs> so that's the other thing. Because it'll make you sick. You know, taking a bath. That's where germs come from. No, I'm sorry, there are no germs. That's where disease comes from. Because it imbalances your humors. You know? It's amazing anybody lived past about 15 back then. So you talk about causality relationships and the and mental habits. Chain of events, causality, mental oh, this starts to sound like learning, right? 
Also doesn't look like he's happy wearing the thing. He looked like he just smelled something kind of bad, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, could be. Maybe he's just sick and that's he's gonna I don't know. Yeah, it's like a hit, it's like a sort of culture appropriation hipster thing, right? It's like, yes, well, we run India now, perhaps we'll wear one of their hats. Realizing it's a religious thing, whatever. I, I just it's various it's a very famous picture of you. That's the thing that gets me too, because that's the one you always see. So he said our cells and our experience are not as continuous as we like to believe. Oh, we start to take a little bit more of a realistic position. Right? And he added that studying emotions and how emotions came from experience and how they sort of interacted with your body. Oh, this is interesting. So while he, you would call him an, an empiricist, I don't think anybody would argue with that, he had the idea that there are some things inborn. Because in talks about things interacting with your body, no one said that your body was the product of your experience. Okay. He talked about comparative studies of physical anatomy and also the anatomy of the mind. So this is looking at between different species of animals. That's cool. Yeah, I do that. <laughs> That's the kind of thing I do. Maybe I should get one of these hats. Um, I like the coat. I think the coat's kind of cool. I don't know about the fur. <laughs> the coat looks Indian too. Right? Yeah, see, he may have been going for an Indian thing because it may have been very fashionable for a time when Britain took over India. Well, at that point, actually, that's not Britain so much as it's the East India Company. It's a very strange relationship, but it's a company that had its own army. That always works out well. Um, so it may have been the case that after the sort of conquest of India, that it became fashionable now and then to dress up like you were from India. That's, actually my, that's always been my best guess about this picture, but I, I never able to find out why. And of course, it really is, frankly, this is, you know, wearing a turban for a Sikh is a, is a holy thing. And I know much on religion, but you know, that just seems a little unseemly to me. <laughs> there was a theory on Reddit that all these um, intellects, like the grossly hat parties. See, I think that may be true. And of course, it's on Reddit, so it must be true. <laughs> I like that. Okay. So Hume's very influential. You find more pictures of him? Yeah, something? this new picture. There's one of the column on his head. No. Oh. <laughs> I found it's a funny picture. This has nothing to do with anything, but I read it the other day where there's a bunch of um, police, and I don't know what they're doing, but they're at some kind of protest, and they're handing traffic cones, the striped ones, to the guys at the front, and it says, uh, Caption was police help protesters protesters install the LCD player. <laughs> that was kind of funny. Um, utilitarianism is an approach, I think, that, to to philosophy, and it's probably to the mind that I think a lot of us like. It's motivated by practical, it was motivated by practical problems in education and society. Um, Mary uh, Wollstonecraft, early pioneer in the idea of utilitarianism, which is do things that make you and others feel good and don't do things that make you and others feel bad. 
So she's an early pioneer of this, and also an early pioneer of like, we're not treating women very well. We turn them into ornaments, basically, from birth, like we raise women to believe that. And she said the, law, the, the differences between men and women, and I mean, are the differences today? Sure. Are they, you wouldn't even recognize, the women in this room would, it would be amazing. If you went back to this time, I don't know how many of you guys know some history. Like, you know that women just got the vote in Canada 100 years ago, right? But you know, women, um, weren't considered people, persons, in, in, under the law. They weren't property. They weren't really people either. They were people. They weren't persons under the law. Women didn't get educations very often. Yeah, she's obviously an exception. It's a different time. It's disgusting. Like, you look back and you you also have to realize, let's see. Throughout her whole lifetime, slavery was legal everywhere. So, I mean, it, the world was quite a bit different than it is today. Quite a bit different. So, she's a radical. Um, she argued against essentialism, which is the idea that you have to, it's kind of a Cartesian notion of, uh, or a rationalist notion of truly knowing something. Essentialism is, is, is it's not a scientific notion. It's like, it's hard to explain this. It's like if you said that. It's really hard to explain. Okay, gravity. Gravity is a force, okay? Sure. Maybe gravity is, we could even get more a little more specific and talk about curved space time. But what is gravity really? What does it mean? You know people that say that? You talk to them, they go, yeah, but what does it mean really? They're essentialists. You don't really understand it until you understand it. You can't. She's an amazing woman. Um, she did things today that we would go, hmm, whatever. Like had kids without being married to guys. And wasn't shy about it. Without being married. She also then married a guy. She had a, a kid with uh, the poet, Shelley. She was named Mary. You heard of Mary Shelley? Yeah. That's, that's, that's her daughter. That's her daughter, yeah. Um, she. Yeah, people do this today. People did it then. They just didn't say anything about it. She had. A couple of extramarital affairs. Again, this is something that happens, and it used to happen then, and people would go, you know, whatever. People didn't usually tell others. She didn't really tell when she died. Uh, her second husband uh, wrote a book about her, and he was trying to say, look at how interesting and wacky she was, and it made her look not good to people, which is too bad. So, 
essentialisms, when you talk about essentialisms between men and women, would be that men are qualitatively different than women and they're in their essential nature. Not just that we have different parts. In other words, men are better than women. She said, no, that's not true. And she said, interact with women as equals. And wouldn't it be, she wrote things saying, when you get married, wouldn't it be nice to have a companion, not just a wife? And that's true. I mean, we know today it's much more interesting to have someone you can also talk to, not just trot out on social occasions. Stand over there, go talk to the girls. You girls go go in the kitchen and make this boys up some hot snacks. I, I hope this will be good. She did, she knew I was kidding. Okay. <laughs> um, now, James Mill, his son becomes pretty, he's famous too, Scottish guy. Argues a mechanistic approach to the mind, talks about associate, associationism and conditioning. The Scots, there was something really neat happening in Scotland. Something really cool happening in Scotland. And there were guys like Thomas Brown who was doing the rules of association. All this associationism stuff was going on. It was very cool. Um, he also wanted to educate people. Utilitarian, what's the best thing for society? If everybody knows things, we tend to make better decisions. His son, uh, John Stuart Mill, probably more famous, he had this mechanistic idea about, a sort of mechanical mechanistic idea about education, going back to Locke, really. Um, but he thought the mind was more probabilistic than mechanical. This is a neat idea, because I think we'd say this today. That the mind makes that human cognitive architecture, I hate using the word mind, because it makes it sound like it's separate from the brain. But we tend to make decisions based on probabilities. And we know that's even true in, in, in how classical conditioning works today. John Stuart Mill says that we can actually scientifically study this stuff. We can, and he's directly saying this about the mind. Um, he also talked about the science of the development of character. So we can look at developmental psychology. We can look at how people, why people are different from each other, looking at personality psychology, you might say. So here he's talking about cognition, really. And here he's talking about, say, personality and development. That's pretty neat. Because that's a long time ago. Also advocated very female-friendly ideas that I think we call him feminist. Um, he's the first member of the British Parliament to say women should vote. So his views were about empiricism and utilitarianism. Very uh, Western, liberal, and I'm using liberal in a small L sense here, uh, views about how the world should work. You provide women with opportunity, and you provide poor people with opportunity. Society gets, goes along better. There he is on the left. It's an actual photo script because he wasn't around long enough that we actually got photos. 
Um, and there's Mary Wallace and Brad, and, and she was, you know, just looked like a normal person. First of all, all these people who really just looked kind of normal. And she's 100 years before him, so I'm just saying. Can Mary Shelley read Frankenstein? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Then we get to the hardest philosopher ever. Has anybody here ever read Kant? Sorry? Kant. You ever read Emmanuel Kant? <laughs> Kant. K-A-N-T. Manual Kant. Has anybody ever read it? If you really, it's, again, I don't know what they teach you people at school anymore. Okay. That's always the same picture of him, too. It's always the picture of him, like, it looks like it should be on the cover of his first album. You know, like, it's... He's looking down off to the side. He's kind of intense. Series of, you know, emo songs. Probably. Just thinking. So he's in the middle between the rationalists, though people call him a rationalist. I don't consider him, a lot of, people, a lot of psychologists don't even call him a rationalist. He's much more of a rationalist than John Locke, but everything is more of a rationalist than John Locke. So he's in the middle. And like I said, he's hard to read. Part, I think part of the reason he's hard to read is because it's all translated from German. I think the reason it's hard to read is because. Um, it's hard to understand. Like, it's also just deep. So he wanted a middle ground between empiricism and rationalism. That's what he was looking at. So, knowledge begins with sensory experience. I don't think, would anybody here deny that, no, I don't think any of us would say, that's kind of ridiculous. I think we'd all buy that. But the mind uses innate categories to understand the universe. He talked particularly of things like the categories about space and time. That we are we have inborn faculties for the perception of time and the perception of space, where things are. He talked about morality being inborn. The, 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 uh, the basic notion that there is right and wrong is an inborn thing. What is right and wrong, we learn. But the idea that there are right and wrong is something that humans have to begin with. So in order to make our experience intense, and this is actually a very reasonable thing, because in order to make our experience intelligible, make it understandable, we have to have some idea of what the hell people are talking about. Or what the hell the universe is. If you have no common frame of reference to begin with, there would have never been any human progress, right? So if you have no way to communicate, and the communication here isn't language, the communication here is space, time, color, things like that. Understanding that Basic laws of nature are something that we are, and the, and, the, and, the, and the basic understanding of them are built into us. So really I call him an interactionist because he's talking about rationalism because he's talking about more faculties. 
but he's saying, and then they understand based on those a priori faculties, they then interpret what they see, what they hear, what they smell, what they taste, what they touch. He said that we're caught between heteronomy, heteronomy hard word, that's government from the outside. When he says government, it's like, um, it isn't actually the government. And autonomy, self-government. He doesn't mean government, he means control is the right word either, because that makes it sound like, again, the government's doing something. And, you know, because we all know what the government's doing, spraying everything with, with chemtrails. Wake up, sheeple. Um, you know, like, I hope you don't get it. Okay. <laughs> so, I don't know about you. But this sounds to me like, I don't know, how, we, how psychology views the world today, how we view how the human mind looks today. So the self-government's what allows us to act in a moral manner. Up until very recently, this was, people dismissed Kant. They dismissed it. A lot of sort of classic social scientists just dismiss it. Oh, yeah, well, everything's inborn. First of all, he didn't say everything was inborn. No one says everything's inborn. That's stupid. Because that would mean you were born knowing how to speak English or French or Dutch or whatever the hell you want to pick. You are ever born with the ability to learn how to speak a human language. Right? You're going to learn one. All languages have verbs and nouns and adjectives. That's interesting. Huh. The idea that for so long, there's this notion that, you know, the Inuit had this megaboss number of words of snow. It's not really true. There's no more than anywhere else where they have a lot of snow. Or that there are cultures where, this is true, there are cultures where there's no system of number. There is one, two, and lots. Okay? And there's a culture, I think it's in Papua New Guinea. People say, see that? They don't even have a concept of number. Actually, they do. Numbers are the thing you can't say we have. Because if you ask one of those folks, um, one, show, show them three and five, say which one has more, and they go, well, this one here. How much are there? I don't know, it's lots of both of them. But there's more there. There are cultures that don't have names for, for colors. It's not because they can't see color, maybe they just don't care. I don't know, but they can still see the difference between things. We know that emotions like facial expressions are universal, right? There is not a, a, a society out there that smiles when people die. Well, maybe that it's your enemies and you're feasting on their entrails. The hell was I doing there? What was that? Feasting on your enemies' entrails. That was weird. I, I apologize. It's a little weird. It's a little weird. Um, you know, nobody laughs when, you know, people don't laugh when, when, when people get hurt. Well, again, unless it's people you don't like. <laughs> 
that it's kind of funny. Or if it's on TV. On TV. <clears throat> yeah, America's Funniest Home Videos. Is that still on TV? Is yes, it still? Really? It is. <laughs> wow. And every episode, it's the same once. Or maybe it isn't. I don't know. I haven't seen. I did see, you know, I should, in August, I was in London, and my aunt, my dad's sister, was visiting my mom, and she wanted to watch the show, and it was a rerun from like 15 years ago. You can easily tell because it wasn't on screen. It was, and you tell by the hair and the clothes. And I looked over at my aunt, and I said, Linda, that, that baby there that's, that's really funny, either now a prostitute or a student at a university, because they're old enough now. That's what I'm saying. I don't know why I picked prostitute. It was really weird that I could say that. My aunt doesn't get my sense of humor at all. She just looks at me. Um, but yeah, it's always the same videos, right? It's like, oh, this one, there is at a baseball game. Yeah, I wonder if a ball's going to hit the camera. Ooh, maybe. <laughs> how is it still a thing? I don't understand. I don't know how I got off on that thing. But, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, emotions and, and, and uh, facial expressions are universal. Come on, that sounds a lot like what we think today. But up until about 30 years ago in psychology, people were rejecting this whole thing. It's crazy. Some people still do not in psychology so much anymore. But there are people. There are people. All right. All right. Conclusions. Most influential, as far as psychology goes, probably the empiricists for two reasons. First of all, the idea of learning and associations. Those are, those by the way are true. Like we do learn by association. It never seemed to occur to the empiricists that maybe there's a mechanism built in for understanding associations, and that would, right? Because that's more of a Kantian view. Also, they're important because they're, they're important standards for how science works. The closest thing, though, I think the way most of us in psychology think is, is Immanuel Kant's work. I mean, I, I, I don't know a lot of people anymore that think it's all, that, that, that everything is just from the environment and that there are no inborn qualities of anybody and that everybody's a blank slate. I just don't know if there's anybody like that in psychology left. There are people who are academics who believe those things. They're wrong. Like, demonstrably wrong, by the way. It's not just that I'm just saying that because I take this view. It's demonstrably incorrect. Questions? I did a little early today, but that's okay. You have any questions on this stuff? This is kind of dense. Kind of dense. Most of this course is academic. Does it make some, some sort of sense? I the hats. The hats were good. They had a lot of hats. It's interesting looking at how the styles of clothes. Because I think back then, too, there was more... Like, we have like a monoculture today, right? Like, where if, if we, this whole group, we could all just transport and be in, 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 in England or Argentina or almost anywhere in the West, we'd all, it wouldn't be ridiculous. The clothes we're wearing, we'd go, oh yeah, those are what people are wearing. 
But you move from like England to France, and people would go, what kind of clothing is they wearing there? It's ridiculous. <laughs> Stupid British people. You know, like so, you know, and the Dutch might have different hats, things like that. Weird. Hard to really imagine that the world wasn't always the way it is now, but it wasn't. Besides the hats, you know. Um, were there any influential people kind of out of this uh, area, like Britain and Scotland, and like kind of people trying to do their own thing in early psychology? You mean like they weren't in in the UK or weren't in like Germany? Yeah. Uh, so okay. almost certainly were people in the East meaning like China, Japan, who were thinking of these things. Um, they never got the play that, that they probably deserve, but I didn't even know any of these people. Um, so there's there. There certainly were Islamic scholars talking about these things, some of them. Um, but the connection, it was so foreign, like things written in Arabic versus things written in Latin, that you never, there was really not a whole lot of connection. Also, the West didn't get along very well with the Muslim world, unlike today, where everything works out perfectly. Um, so there wasn't a lot of um, sort of intellectual cross-pollination. I mean, we see it today, we didn't see it then. Uh, North America, not really, because really we were all farmers and trappers, and or we were in the South, either slaves or slave owners. You know, so going tobacco and cotton. There were there were the great universities already in North America. Sure, there was. Jeez, um, the oldest university in North America is probably Harvard. But then you've got Laval in Quebec City, is funded in the early 1700s. There have been universities, but you don't think of a whole lot of people until psychology actually starts. Um, the empiricist idea is, is a very British idea. It's a very British. Idea. Um, the rationalist idea is a very continental idea. But yeah, I mean, you got to realize also the center of, the, of, of, of commerce in the world at the time is Western Europe. It's not so spread out like it is today. Right? Like I said, there was stuff going on in the Far East, there was stuff going on in the Far, far East, called Middle East, but there was not a whole lot of cross-pollination. I mean, Japan was completely isolated until the 1860s. Um, China was a mess, right? Um, was there a whole lot of higher learning going on there? Yeah. But it wasn't being read by a lot of different people. Unlike the people, things these people were printing, they were doing these things, printing pamphlets. Um, uh, Mary Wollstonecraft, she was, she was writing pamphlets and arguing with uh, Payne and Burke about things publicly. So you'd print a pamphlet. It's, it was the equivalent today of like a blog post. You'd print a pamphlet and you'd hand it out to people. I said, read this, read this, I just wrote this, read this thing. And people read it, and then one of their enemies would get it and go, well, I'll have to respond to this. And then they'd write something and get a printing press and print it out. Um, so, I mean, and especially England and Germany are, the, are these powerhouses, both intellectually, militarily, and uh, in France, um, industrially, mm-hmm. unlike everywhere else. So you're starting to get also education happening, especially in those three places, not just for the rich and the elite. It's, people are starting to get educated at all levels. No, it's not a whole lot of education for most of our ancestors, most of us you know, going to grade 
three or four kind of thing. Yeah. And you go, then you go learn to be a, a barrel maker or whatever your father does for a living. Right. But yeah, there is stuff out there, but it's, it's, it doesn't have the influence. There's no, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I, I remember reading some of the Arabic stuff uh, about optics when I was in grad school because it was really important for the history of the study of perception. Because those, I were talking about this last time, those guys did work on optics that the people in the West discovered 400, 500 years later. The problem was their religion forbade them from doing dissections. And ours didn't. And so our guys were cutting things open, including dead people. And they'd look and go, oh, that's how the eye worked. These guys would have to guess. They couldn't cut open an eye. But they still figured out all this stuff about optics. Good question. Other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Do you think like the, the fact that um, you know, like England and uh, you know, different Islamic countries were such a powerhouse? Yeah. It has something to do with like their military prowess as well. Winston Churchill and Well, I mean, well, yeah, Churchill. Churchill was a really neat amateur kind of historian, but I mean, he also was confused about some things. I think, but I think it may have something to do. It's not so much their prowess; it's their well, you're going to have a lot of influence when you can show up somewhere and say, oh, this is ours now. You know, I mean, that's, you're going to have influence that way. That's part of what, how politics works, right? So, I mean, it was, uh, I believe it was Bismarck who said that um, war is just an extension of politics by other means. Right? Where you have, um, it was Bismarck who said that. But, I mean, so it is a political thing, and when you have more influence politically and economically, it's easier to have more influence militarily and intellectually. And I think, in fact, all of those four things sort of circle on each other. I don't think you can say one causes another. You know, I don't think that's, I think that's too simplistic, it seems. I think it's much more sensible to say, when you have a great empire like Britain had, you can have stuff from everywhere. When you have stuff from everywhere, and ideas from everywhere, you can build more powerful stuff, and you can make more stuff and you also have a bunch of people that you don't consider to be your equals who you can take stuff from their countries. You can plunder them, right? I mean, it wasn't as bad here, obviously, but you look at India, which was basically just plunder. And they ran India from the you know, 1600s up to 1947. Um, and until the, until the mid-1800s, India was actually run by the British East India Company. It wasn't even really run by, by the British government. It was owned by a company. In fact, well, most of Canada was originally owned by the Hudson Bay Company, which is Rupert's Land. Right? So I think those things play a role, and I think we can't dismiss the importance of what's happening in the world at these times. When you think about the 1700s, the 1800s, Kant becomes influential in the 1700s, 1800s. We start to have the rise of Germany as a power. We'll talk about this in a couple of classes. Germany becomes the dominant economy of the world, the dominant military force, or one on the continent, and also becomes the most important intellectual force in the world. And then they start World War I. Probably shouldn't have done that. But I mean, one of the reasons that they are so influential, they win the Franco-Prussian War. So I mean, Sure, these, these sort of historical factors. I mean, this, why do you think so much stuff comes from the states? It's not just the 330 million people living there. It's, that's not the only reason. They're good at stuff for other reasons. 
And that's because it self-perpetuates. It's an interesting question. I thought about it. I mean, I thought about it sort of, but not quite like that. Anything else? That was a neat question. All right, guys, I will see you next time. And I will think about, I will in fact go back to my office and think of a question for that paper shortly. Thank you, everyone.
Thanks for listening to the lecture. Um, all of the audio is available, of course, on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. Just search for Dave, uh, Dr. Dave Brodbeck's uh, Psychology Lectures from Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a uh, uh, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, what I call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>